podcast my name is owen today is friday july 1st happy canada day folks and i'm joined as i always am by my neighbor max how's it going my friend doing pretty well had a happy canada day make logging those overtime hours but had a bit of a meltdown almost right before we got on air uh, as an avid Apple product consumer, um, we I just have to deal with the fact that we've reached the point where you almost always have to buy Apple-specific accessories to use what were once base accessories like USB cords. Uh, so my speaker has a Apple whatever Thunderbolt C port to USB adapter, which I need to be able to plug my mic in. And it's always either in two places on my desk right now recording with you or on the shelf where I put it and there's about three steps in between Uh, so I went to plug my mic in and didn't have the USB adapter like look all over the shelf kind of tear it apart can't find it look a shelf above a shelf below all over the ground back to the desk to see if it had been sitting there for a week couldn't find it had like five minutes to go before we were supposed to get on air literally took every single thing off three shelves could not find it for my life we got to eight o'clock and i was like all right i'll hop on explain this situation oh try and think of anywhere else it could be if i can't find it in five minutes i just do it without my mic so as i'm standing there waiting to accept you to the call i looked down and it was at my feet i think i dropped it as i was bringing all the stuff over to plug in for today classic move that's like, oh, where's my keys? And and you're in, it's in your back pocket or where are my glasses and you're wearing them on your forehead or something like that. It's one of those moves happens to all of us. <laughs> it, it is a pretty beautiful moment to, as I'm about to explain the situation's bad, have it be resolved. And because I was getting ready to do that, uh, as opposed to, you know, breaking your window and then finding your keys in your back pocket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always a relief to know that, that it's there and you just have a, a brain fart moment. <laughs> hey, it, it happens when, when you're working on a holiday time and a half and, and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Thoughts very much elsewhere. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I'm surprised I hadn't had a moment like that myself today. Um, very, very long day in the, in the sun, in the heat. Um, at a Highland Dance competition, uh, the Ambro Highland Games, oldest Highland Games in Ontario. It's the 83rd running, um, and got to got to go back to some of my Scottish roots uh, with with uh, piping, with uh, heavy events, some some sheepdog demonstrations, and of course the Highland Dance itself. And ran a road race today. And uh, Max, I know we've had a talk about. Uh, competitiveness in the past yes that continues to be a constant theme wherever I go in life (laughs) I have never experienced such adrenaline on a 5k run than when I did this morning (laughs) Um, I beat my personal best by almost a minute does that mean you sub 20 I did congratulations holy shit 19.54 and uh and finished fourth overall in the in the race itself yeah and i and i instantly finished and my whole body was like shaking it was like one of those videos you watch i don't know if they did that for your lifeguarding where like someone's in distress 
yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. started shaking. That's kind of how I felt. <laughs> wow. Sounds like I need to get to the 84th annual Embryo Highland Games. Yeah, wow. there you go. We got to run side by side and just push it. <laughs> oh, we're, we're going sub 18 if we're side by side. Yeah. yeah. There's a kid there who ran a 16.45. Is that the future people... of Canadian racing? He must have been like 17. Wow. I mean, built different, but <laughs> I'm, what's the Olympics at? Like 14 minute mark for 5Ks? I think, I think they're around 12 and a bit. Yeah. For the 5K. It's, yeah, it's absurd that, that a human can run that fast for that sustained amount of time. But congrats on sub 20. I hope to break sub 23 soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, uh, I don't know if I ever want to do it again. Let's say that. <laughs> that might be it. That might be the peak. I think what's next for me is, is the distances. Grow that a little mm. bit more. Um, because I, my body cannot go as long as I would like it to. And I think that's the next, the next step of running. But the problem with that is that I find it so boring <laughs> yeah. Yeah. to run the long distances. I always have to pop in a podcast. Uh, and so who knows? Maybe someone out there is out for a run right now listening to us uh in their eardrums and if you are running push it this next 100 meters just sprint it and then and then keep jogging why not up the tempo get the heart rate going <laughs> if you're just walking on the street same thing yeah just give a sprint right 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 on your casual stroll no matter what you're wearing slides give her all right that was a that was a fun side tangent we've had sure. a lot of nonsense at the start recently I love it. I mean, that's yeah. what happens when uh, when summer is here and there's less sports to talk about. I mean, today, wow. luckily for us, we have a free agency in the NBA, which in itself is its own massive event and a massive talking point uh, for a couple of weeks. It's going to be in. Uh, then uh, the NHL draft is this weekend as well. So couple of great things for us to talk about. I think we'll have some tennis talk as well, but uh, really NBA free agency never, never, ever disappoints. And there were so many different ways that we could have started the show uh, talking about various acquisitions and we'll, we'll get through quite a bit of them, but um, Max said this. And in the end, I had to agree that uh, nothing is bigger right now than Kevin Durant requesting a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. Um, many casual fans saw uh, potential for that, that team to stay together when Kyrie Irving opted in to his player option, but all that did was make it more feasible for him to be dealt. And with the Brooklyn Nets looking to deal Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant seeing his, his running mitt slipping away, James Harden already gone, Ben Simmons, who knows what he is going to be for that team. Uh, Durant said he's had enough. He wants to go chase a title somewhere else and is asked out. And it, it, that is, could be another completely uh, basketball landscape changing move. We saw when LeBron went back to Cleveland and then to LA. Um, we saw Kawhi spend a year in Toronto. And Kevin Durant is another massive, massive name that if he moves locations could flip uh, massive title odds and implications. And there's a couple of really fun possibilities that we kind of already talked about and theorized on the last podcast. Um, 
but Max, I mean, what are what are some of your major thoughts on on this announcement that came out yesterday? Yeah, there's just so many sides to this story, which is why I, partly why I felt like we had to treat it as our headliner. Uh, the potential trade implications and just what it means for this free agency period. I remember reading headlines the night of that, like within the hour, 15 teams had called in uh, trying to discuss Durant. Uh, and as well that a lot of free agency was going to be put on hold for those teams, uh, treating Durant as the number one priority and then chasing other assets and um, using what they have once they know that those resources can't be put towards that. Uh, on the other side of it, there's the fact that Durant has a four-year contract and is asking for a trade. Um, that just the whole discussion about the player empowerment era, what that says, um, a lot of talk about how the next collective bargaining agreement is going to go. And then there's also the fact that Durant asked to be traded to the number one team in each of the respective conferences, the Heat and the Suns listed as his priorities. Um, that legacy is going to be a long, long shadow down the hardest road. Uh, he walked when they discussed that. Uh, and then to round it off, there's no trade clause for Durant or Kyrie. So the Nets front office, who've really seemed to have had quite enough of the two's antics, can send them to whoever gives them the best assets. And that also poses a really interesting question moving forward. If Durant, Kyrie, I think, harder to predict, um, less interesting than the player on the four-year contract who that could also alter the landscape of the basketball world moving forward so so many it's a standstill moment yeah. uh, i don't know which of those points you want to run with the most ignore i know you get more into the trade and uh impacts on the game on the court yeah it's it's fascinating to me because the Kyrie thing he really is only appealing at this point to the desperate teams that we mentioned on the last podcast, right? A New York, a Los Angeles Lakers. Um, and, and those are the teams that are really looking to, to make that acquisition because of how, um, let's say, incongruent he is with many teams personalities and and has He's destroyed not... three franchises yes yeah i was trying to <laughs> be single-handedly but... sunk this nets roster all of the fallout we are seeing right now the chaos is happening only because of kyrie irving how many teams want to take that risk and he's on twitter tweeting about freeing a caged bird <laughs> uh yeah it's he his tweets percent... that twice a year his perception is so cracked. It's, yeah, fascinating. And then the Kevin Durant piece. I mean, every single team in the league, uh, at the same time, you make that phone call. And then at the same time, you reevaluate. And there's not that many teams where if it wasn't a top 15 player of all time, likely wouldn't do the deal. We're just talking about the cap space. Teams can make it work, but there's not a ton of teams that have cap space and the teams that do, he doesn't fit their timeline, right? Like an Oklahoma City, a Detroit, um, a uh, Houston, right? Teams that have the assets to be able to make that trade. It's, it, 
he's he's not on their timeline of long-term success. But at the same time, if you have the chance to get Kevin Durant for four years, you can make that phone call. And so I was having this conversation with with a with a friend of mine last night uh, about if you're the Raptors, is Scotty Barnes on the table for Kevin Durant? And my instant reaction was yes, because Scotty, the very one percent that you hope Scotty could ever be is what Kevin Durant is right now. And you know what he is right now. And if you were able to package together Scotty, either Gary or Fred, and so and and a couple picks, then you instantly make your team into that Kawhi zone of competitiveness where you won a title in 2019. At the same time, it's a very different league that's deeper now. And I don't know if having one Kevin Durant gets it done with the way that teams have been able to be constructed with so many different contributors. So if you're a team that's vying to make that phone call for Durant, uh, you, you must be wary about putting so many pieces on the table um, as Brooklyn did, where they really depleted what made their team so exciting for Durant to join in the first place by getting rid of Jared Allen and getting rid of other pieces uh, that made their team so deep and so exciting to watch when they were fighting for a seven, eight seed. And so uh, after rethinking about it, I, I don't think, I think everyone else is touchable except Scotty, but it, it doesn't feel like that's the move the Raptors are going to make. They, they moved on the fringes again, as they do most uh, free agencies. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but fascinating to see how this develops. And I mean, you remember three years ago now when the Kawhi signing happened uh, and and the Paul George subsequently following uh, and some of the major, major shifts in the landscape that that, that free agency brought in. This could be another bombshell that we see in the next couple of days. I really can't get over the personality part of it and the outside the contract. Like, if I'm the Raptors, I also don't make that trade. And if I'm any GM, I don't make this trade unless I have a long talk with Durant about where his mind's at and if he's going to play. Because, again, that just can't be a given with this. And another question up in the air is, is there any chance Durant and Irving get dealt together? Um, this, a lot of this fallout seems to be happening because Durant isn't happy with how the Nets organization handled his buddy, or is it him wanting to get away from that buddy is another discussion I've seen being had. Um, do you think there's any chance any of these top teams he's asking for bite? Like, I don't know, top three in each. I know you dismissed the Grizzlies last podcast. Uh, so the Suns, the Heat, I don't see it for the Celtics or Bucks, and I can't. Were the Warriors the number three seed? Yep. In the yeah, I don't see that one <laughs> happening. Either. The ultimate so, villain move. So really, Suns or Heat? Do you see any chance there? Absolutely, I could see the Suns doing that. Um, that's an Aiton Bridges picks combination that could get things done. Um, definitely see that as a possibility. Miami, I think so as well. As much as they love Jimmy Butler, is could be on the table. Uh, otherwise, it's Lowry Robinson. Um, that probably doesn't 
probably doesn't wow Brooklyn compared to what other teams can offer. Um, I, I saw like a young star to build a team around in three picks. Uh, that the pre the Gobert trade, which yeah. saw five okay. picks. So so does does Tyler Hero move the needle enough versus an Aiton Bridges combo? I don't think it's comparable. Um, and then Boston, I think, is on the table. Realistically, they have the picks. They have. I mean, they moved one of them today for Malcolm Brogdon, which we can talk about as well. But um, would you ever consider put putting Jalen Brown on the table? And you have Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum, which is which is a terrifying thought as well. Yeah, yeah, that definitely moves the needle. Uh, KD's legacy of uh, joining teams who beat him in the playoffs continues there as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yikes. Yeah, I mean, there's really not a lot of KD and any like name any top 20 player around the league and you salivate because like he just really makes teams better he's not gonna add a hole to any team that they're um is gonna make them anywhere close to more worse off so i i think for me like just how happy are gms in the direction they're going and like are they willing to throw it all to the wind um i feel like this Raptors Kawhi trade is still like the main model to look at. One other thing the Raptors had maybe to look for would be like continued instances of playoff bottlenecks um, with no major shakeups, like teams that have been consistent second, third round teams the past, how many years was it for the Raptors? Like four or five? Uh, yeah, seven. <laughs> Who kind of started with all their core players like at a young age and as those players were getting more mature at a point where their uh, time span didn't have that much left, like that's when you shake it up, roll the dice and go for broke. Uh, I think more than teams with the, but then they need to have a young player to trade. Yeah. So it, it doesn't leave too many options on the table, but some exciting possibilities for sure and again eagerly eagerly await that bombshell when it arrives um if you're the nets i don't see you dealing both players together and there's kind of two ways you can go is you deal it to a contender and try and get some quality assets back like you think about the possibility of a bridges Aiton, ben simmons defensive team it's pretty pretty strong um you think about a Jalen Brown, Ben Simmons combination as well, right? Like there's, there's ways that you could trade a bunch of assets, but still have a pretty competitive team, or you go the way of reversing the mistake that you made many, many years ago when you went out and got Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and, and, uh, and Joe Johnson and uh, Darren Williams uh, by trading those guys for just a ridiculous amount of picks into perpetuity. But are those picks going to be good when it's, when it's Kevin Durant? So really, really fascinating to see which direction they go there. They already traded one of their first round picks to Utah for uh, Royce O'Neal this week, which was intriguing to say the least. Um, So it looks like they might be going with the, with the more win now mentality. 
And uh, if you're Utah, an, an intriguing deal as well. And it came a couple days before their bombshell. Um, the Royce O'Neill trade, Brian Windhorse this morning, signaling something changing. The, the, the wind's blowing in a different direction. Danny Ainge, of course, taking on the role there and uh, hiring a new head coach from Boston and bringing in his, his mentality, building some great teams. And he goes out and he finally makes a move that people have been waiting on now for about three years. And he deals Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves, a blockbuster trade uh, for Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt, a sneaky good acquire there. Uh, Malik Beasley, another sneaky good guy to pick up. Leandro Balmero, three first round picks and a pick swap. Absolutely craziness. And if you're Utah, that is a, that is an awesome deal to get those picks, get off of Gobert because you get that so much value there out of something that wasn't going to work. It just seemed like it nothing it was not going to happen with that team. Now you lose a really important piece. And I think this Utah team is definitely going to plummet down the standings in terms of they just won't have the same regular season effectiveness with the lack of defense that they're now getting, but it gives you so many assets now with the flexibility to maybe go out and try and get something else. That's really exciting that you could put with Donovan Mitchell and, and he is now your guy going forward. Yeah, I think you, hit on it pretty well for the jazz they were at a standstill like there was no road further left on the path they had taken and they turned gobert into a new path they still have mitchell a player they can um, acquire some role players around try and change up the system they've been going with a little and still hope to contend uh, and they have a bunch of assets that they can use to go in whatever direction they want or they can also dump mitchell and look for rebuild but i We'll see. I think you give it at least one year before you decide uh, which one of those forks maybe to go. Uh, for Minnesota, you did mention some key role depth, like five through eight players that they had to move off of to make this happen. But they managed to keep the most important, crucial, biggest parts to the best season they've had in a while. And uh, I am really intrigued by the spacing this is going to give them with Towns more out on the perimeter after having a really good shooting season uh, and trying to keep Gobert close enough to the rim to operate uh, lacklusterly offensively at best, but still give them something. Uh, like they must have some confidence to overcome the playoff um, fatal target that Gobert seems to present to teams' defenses. Uh, but this makeup with Towns and Gobert in a starting five is really interesting to me oh, as well. So, so much fun, uh, the implications that this has for the regular season. They're basically looking for the upgraded version of Jaron Jackson Jr., Stephen Adams, that we saw with Memphis, which was so effective for them in the regular season. Um, this gives you a defensive player of the year and a third team all NBA superstar now that cat has developed into, and he got his super max extension today as well. That was one of the signings. Um, really, really fun. The fit is fantastic there with either Russell or uh, Edwards as your primary ball handler, pick and roll with Gobert diving to the basket 
and just being able to space the floor with a, an incredible shooter, like you mentioned in Carl Anthony Towns, who not only can shoot at a high level, but also attack you off of a closeout. And teams are really going to struggle to defend when you have to choose. Do I put my center on Gobert uh, and then leave Carl Anthony Towns to just bully this much smaller matchup from the high post or low post or, and having to bring extra help? Or do I put my uh, more of a, a wing player on, on Gobert uh, and switch the screen, but then leave my center out there on an island against Carl Anthony Towns on the perimeter where he can attack him off the dribble? It does give Minnesota some really interesting looks. That being said, they are going all the way in on not being able to play defense because as much as I love Rudy Gobert, uh, they're, there's, they're, Minnesota is going to really struggle to keep the ball in front of them come playoff time. And if they're going all switching, then Towns and Gobert are going to get picked apart in that pick and roll. They're going to really struggle to keep guys in front of them. Or if they're playing in the paint, that means Towns becomes your guy who has to scramble out on shooters and, and cover on the perimeter. And so in a lot of those instances, either Towns is going to have to play a lot more uh, defense or you're going to end up going to lineups that only features one of these players when you're paying so much for both of them and you've given up so much. That is the last piece of this that we mentioned was if this is how much uh, Minnesota gives up for Gobert, how much is Kevin Durant going to go for? The difference in this part is, is Kevin Durant, everyone knows he wants to get traded, so that will depreciate his value slightly for teams saying, well, he, he wants to leave, so why do I have to pay all the way for him? Again, bidding war there. But with Gobert, uh, Minnesota, I don't know who necessarily you were bidding against, but there's no way they were going to go that high. And it feels like an overpayment, and it feels like something that's going to last two years and is going to have some serious consequences come playoff time. And it's, it's really disappointing because Minnesota was in such a great position to have this fun young team that's growing and Anthony Edwards is going to be a stud and Carl Anthony Towns is going to be great. But I think you're, you're looking, I don't know why they couldn't have got Aiden. I think that was, would have been a much better fit than a Gobert because Aiden has that perimeter ability and uh, not only defensively being able to cover one through five, but even offensively could space for Carl Anthony Towns a little bit more than Gobert can uh, while still being that rim runner. So it's, it's a little bit confounding for Minnesota. They're going to give it a go. Uh, new ownership and, and new general manager there trying to make a big splash. But in the end, I, I, I would grade this low for Minnesota on the big it's, – it's a 10 out of 10 on the fun scale, but maybe a, a 5 out of 10 on the effectiveness scale in my book. Play devil's advocate a little because you said something I find – on anyone on the surface would find a bit counterintuitive. Uh, how does adding a defensive player of the year make your defense worse? I'd love to go look at the Timberwolves stats from last year and see points in the paint, especially because the effect Gobert is going to have on the paint defense for the Timberwolves is going to be substantial. Yeah. Uh, that just a piece of value we didn't really touch discussing this trade. Uh, that of course, I, 
I can't really see Towns uh, falling into a like Robert Williams type role on defense. Eh? No, but that is what they might need him to be. Yeah. In order like, for this to work, right? Like that could be interesting. Utah. But then you still need your wings who can yeah. switch, like a Brown and Tatum, if you're really trying to make, make the Celtics. Which, which they don't Smart. have. They got rid yeah. of Vanderbilt and and Beasley and Patrick Beverly, who right. are three of their yep. solid guys that they go to to defend on the perimeter. So they're really going to have to rely on. Uh, is it? Uh, I can't even think about it. It's yeah. the two brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah, they're other I, they're other long uh forward that they play yeah. on defense there. And and I just can't spit it out. <laughs> uh, the other point I wanted to touch on is this is a team with a pretty young core. Uh Edwards and Towns are likely to be with them uh all the way through all their unprotected picks. And I don't think picks in their like in the 20s are that valuable that they're not worth a go bear. Uh, so I think some added success to their playoffs, something that gives this team momentum going forward and keeps them going forward uh, through to that 2027 pick. And then the 2029 one, I think, is top five protected. So if the floor, it all goes out the window by then, uh, you're not totally screwed. Um, I, I like teams risking it with picks and for some playoff success. I don't think that's necessarily a lost trade if you never get a ring, if you can like make a couple more second round and third round touches. Perhaps. I just, I think the goal, with the goal being to win championships, Gobert doesn't get you there. And um, shout out to uh, Jalen McDaniels, who was the guy I was trying to think of. There you go. All right. Lots to get through still as Zoom has just triggered us here for 10 minutes left. Um, Malcolm Brogdon to the Boston Celtics uh, for Jawan Morgan, uh, Fitz, Stauskas, Aaron Neesmith, Daniel Tice uh, in a first-round pick. Boston finally gets their uh, their point guard, their true point guard. Um, now, Marcus Smart was a fantastic facilitator, and it'll be interesting to see how him and Brogdon fit together. But you basically upgraded the Derek White position into a starter who can give you good minutes every night, who is a knockdown three-point shooter um in in the regular season at least have some thoughts about him come playoff time but is a facilitator and gives you another great two-way look and he is going to fit really well with Tatum and Brown because he's a high IQ guy who doesn't stop the ball and uh I've always been a big fan of Brogdon and I love this trade for the Celtics because they don't give anything really up too much of value um the biggest piece in that deal real is probably Aaron Neesmith. And I he's he may prosper on another team, but it was not gonna happen in Boston. And and a first round pick with you making the finals last year, that's that's not too heavy of a price to pay. Yeah, I think a lot of things with barely any substance for something very substantial is the right kind of move. Uh, I don't know. Well, I guess for the Pacers, it was just time to move off of Brogdon. So they had to look for something. We'll see what, if they can flip anything like a Tyson too. Yeah, they've, at this point, they've moved off of everyone except Miles Turner, who may still be tradable, but he's only 24. So they're, they're thinking about keeping him. But this is Tyrese Halliburton's team, along with Benedict Matherin, Chris Duarte. Um, and uh, we'll see where they go from there. But full rebuild mode in Indiana moving forward with that one. 
Uh, Kevin Herter left out. Um, we'll get to that one shortly, but the reason he this move happened was because uh, two days ago now, this feels like a million years ago, DeJounte Murray the all-star guard of the San Antonio Spurs, who have finally pulled the plug after 25 years. They're finally going into rebuild mode. Uh, they they pulled the plug. They trade DeJounte to the Atlanta Hawks for Danilo Gallinari and three first-round picks. Um, that was, as well, similar to a, a KD price in terms of picks was three, but DeJounte Murray, an all-star. Uh, love, love the fit there with Trey Young. As, a, as another playmaker who can do great things with the ball in his hands uh, and, and a lot more defensive possibilities there with DeJounte compared to Herter and Bogdanovich on that Hawks team. So uh, it's a great pickup in terms of two-way presence. It's a, it's a steep price to pay, and I worry about them being able to share the ball and work off of. Just in order for this trade to be successful for Atlanta, Trey Young needs to be a better off-ball threat. Um, he, he loves to stand around, uh, way outside of the three point line when he doesn't have the ball and, and isn't active and involved in the plays. He needs to do that for this trade to be successful. And I think this actually could be a great move for Atlanta. They've been waiting to, to make some pieces move around. They still have some guys that can move, but, uh, it's a great pickup to get DeJounte Murray. And because of that, Kevin Herter, the odd man out, he goes to Sacramento Funny how uh, uh, Sacramento had the chance to sign Bogdanovich. They let him go. He goes to, uh, well, he tried to go to Milwaukee first, ends up in Atlanta um, when Sacramento just could have kept him. So Sacramento in turn has to pay a first round pick to get Kevin Herter, who is a younger version of Bogdanovich. But just the Kings stay taking L's and um, they, uh, they pick up Kevin Herter, who I guess fits in better with De'Aaron Fox, but like they already have, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know what Sacramento's doing, um, but I guess Kevin Herter is not a, not a bad piece to have. Maybe they trade him in the future, but it feels like this team's trying to make the playoffs. So don't necessarily know what they're doing, but um He's a solid player, so I guess it's a fine pickup. But if you're Atlanta, it's a good job getting a little bit of value for him because you knew he was going to fall off the depth chart there uh, with with Murray coming in. Yeah, uh, it does kind of feel like the Kings are just trying to assemble a motley crew of whatever players they can get their hands on and hope for some sort of surprising breakthrough in chemistry between a Sabonis, a Herder, a Fox, and they'll just keep on moving around assets till it finally all clicks. Um, keep on watching for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more moves to be made for sure. Run through our list here of uh, max extensions, Zach Levine, the first Chicago bull to ever sign a contract over a hundred million dollars. He signs five years to 15. Uh, John Morant, getting this max Jokic getting the largest contract in NBA history, Bradley Beal, not far behind Carl Anthony towns, Devin Booker, um, the same agent, uh, first female to, to, uh, female agent to get a super max sign. And she gets two done on the same day for them. And then Zion Williamson signing his max extension. Very surprising that the Pelicans went all the way max with him. That's where we are today in the player empowerment era. You get the guy his money, even though he doesn't He's have a proven track. Well, he was, I think, 
he made the all-star team in his second year. Um, and yeah, how did they finish that year? Very nearly. Uh, they, they were the just outside the plan. They were just outside yeah. the plan. That was the bubble year. Um, very, very nearly third team all NBA. Uh, only played 65 games that second season, but some, uh, some, some donuts in between. And so will he be able to stay healthy? think it could be worth it for the Pelicans, but you pay him the big money. Um, and they're a team that could be a fun potential KD destination as well. Yeah, it is really a prisoner's dilemma game theory mentality of you can't risk another team signing him and hitting a jackpot. So you've got to do it. Uh, one, while we're on the talk of max contracts, uh, one thing I don't see in your notes of note is um the talk that James Harden declining his player option to take a less than max contract to give yep. the 76ers some flexibility. Um, yeah. I'll actually tie that in nicely with your next note here as the 76ers go out and acquire PJ Tucker, who yeah. very much um, winning track record over the style of play and the types he, of teams he chooses to join. Uh, more moves probably to come for the 76ers. Um, Harden really emerges out of this Brooklyn big three looking like a saint. And it's not something I would have believed when you yeah, told me a year crazy. and something ago when he forced his way to Brooklyn. It, um, it so, does it does feel like he's at least trying to win at this point. Um, yeah. But it, it took a couple of terrible, terrible stretches here for that, him. So <clears throat> trying to save a little bit of face, I just don't know if that gets it all the way done for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you talk about wanting to win and the revisionist history, which I think was less present at the time, was the forcing out of Brooklyn was also about wanting to win, uh, looking around him and saying, like, these guys aren't serious, take me somewhere that is, which the way things have unfolded, I think I've seen a lot of that um, mindset echoed recently. Uh, so I... it. <sighs> For the most part, I, like I'm terrified of a super team being created through those methods, and I think LeBron's going to do something sort of to that style uh, the year his son gets drafted. Um, but this particular move I like from Harden and is actually one of my favorite things he's done. So I had to shout that out. Wow, look at that. All right, we're going to have to take a quick break here. Uh, and when we come back, we'll wrap up NBA free agency, some of the Raptors moves, and then talk a little hockey and tennis. And we're back. Uh, quick Zoom reset here as uh, we run through some of our final transactions. Uh, the 76ers, of course, as we mentioned before the break, they're getting P.J. Tucker uh, at around $8 million per. Um, a good signing, maybe a bit too long on the term for my taste, uh, as as he is very good for the playoffs and, and specific uh, tasks that come with it. And they're going to need him to guard some wings to take the pressure off of their smaller guards there. But I don't know if he'll be able to hold up through the regular season. So fascinating to see how that deal goes through uh, some other deals of note here. Lonnie Walker is the guy that the Lakers ended up signing uh, with their exception uh, to bring to LA kind of feels like him and Kendrick Nunn will be the new uh, members of the Island of Misfit Toys out there in LA. 
Uh, Gary Payton II to the Portland Trailblazers. They steal him from Golden State. Congratulations to Gary Payton after grinding all his way from uh, from so many different G League teams, finally an NBA champion, and now he gets his money, uh, and he'll get to play alongside Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons, which is definitely a fun fun uh, possibility there for him. And then similar role, uh, Bruce Brown, kind of that defense first guard uh, there going to the Denver Nuggets. So uh, a great pickup for them to get a, a guy who can play some perimeter defense there in Denver. Uh, speaking of perimeter defense, our Canadian, Lou Dort, the Dortcher Chamber. Uh, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder do him a favor. They decline uh, his team option and re-sign him uh, to, I think it was four years, 87 million. That is a massive, massive deal for Lou Dort. Feels like a bit of an overpay. OKC can afford to do that right now with them being very early on in their rebuild and and having the cap space to do so. Uh, So they pay Lou Dort the big, big money. Um, That, I think, lowers his trade value uh, for potential transactions in the future there. Um, So not maybe not the best idea from OKC, but if they're planning to keep him for a couple of those years, makes it the, the deal a little bit better. And and if they can afford to do it right now with kind of no implication for them, salary cap wise, I, I don't see why not. I think you bet on his improvement where if come third, fourth year, your team landscape has shifted, you're a bit tight on cap space. He's at least improved to the point where, at his cap hit, he is valued by some team for what he brings. Uh, I think it's a pretty low risk move for them. And you never know what he might turn into with the right growth and encouragement. So yeah, the very fun possibility of the OKC starting lineup this year is that he will be the shortest player on the floor for them and their most dogged defender. Always a good combination to have. Yeah, they're going to be a fun league pass team for sure. Moving along here, Andre Drummond signing with the Chicago Bulls. So he looks like he's going to be their uh, Tristan Thompson replacement. Um, Needed another center to take some big minutes and and take some of that strain away from Vucevic to consistently play against the bigger players in the league. Um, So not a bad signing there. And then we get to our Toronto Raptors, who... uh, Keep most of the core intact here. Uh, re-signing Chris Boucher to three years, thirty-five million. Not a bad number to get Boucher at, uh, with the value that he provides to this team. And then Thaddeus Young at two years, sixteen million. Again, not a bad veteran-level deal. You keep the leadership in place, and both of these guys have been very productive for you off the bench. Uh, and so I, I like both of those signings and they are movable contracts for sure. Definitely easy to put those salaries in deals as well. The other move they make is though you go out and get Otto Porter Jr. from the champion Golden State Warriors. Uh, Porter, very different player from when a lot of Raptors fans remember him uh, in Washington. He is a, a solid three-point shooter. Um, so great to have more outside shooting. That's something they haven't had a ton of from their wings you don't get a bunch of it from Thaddeus Young it's inconsistent from Boucher so Otto Porter a little bit more consistent three-point shooting and another six seven to six nine player that you add to the mix to the sea of wings and arms and legs that we're gonna get to see and uh, I love I love adding another guy to the fold that just can play uh, a couple different positions and guard a bunch of players on the floor and and this (laughs) Raptors team is like the future is wings and and they've got a plethora of them. So they might be the, uh, 
the the team that many teams uh, pick up the phone and, and ring at the trade deadline looking for that. And hopefully the Raptors use that as their opportunity to get some value. Um, and so I like the move to just continue to stockpile the most valuable position in the league. Yeah, it's a depth chart that we are very strong and not wanting or lacking in, but it's also a depth chart that you can base basically make an entire team out of if you can put a center around them uh that on the wish list i see mostly oh you've got a couple non-centers on there as well Uh, i I like the idea of having a near monopoly on three and d wings that we can dish out at the trade deadline for overpricing um I don't know how many more you'd need to pick up to have like all the ones on movable contracts, but that <laughs> oh, Masai yeah. playing some 40 chess. Yeah, there, yeah, I guess so. Always trust in Masai. Um, there's not too many wings left on the market. So just kind of remaining, my wish list for the Raptors does include a center. Uh, I know we have Christian Coloco, but he is going to be a raw project. And so still missing out on that dependable seven-footer that can start for you. Of course, DeAndre Ayton has to be the top of the list in terms of uh, most valuable centers in the league. And if the Raptors could somehow swing that, uh, definitely would cost them one of their really key core pieces uh, and some picks. But if you get that done, I think it, it really ties into Tyus Jones being on my list of guys uh, on the wish, wish list because he has he's been a great creator, um, really, really solid and steady presence in Memphis. And um, this Raptors team with Banton being so fresh and obviously we have some points, Scotty, but really missing that guy who could lead a bench unit. I think Tyus Jones wants a little bit more of that role, um, but would be an excellent guy to have as a sixth or seventh man to really come in and bring you some more playmaking and shooting. Uh, and then down the list, more of your, your uh, affordable or uh, more likely center options, Mo Bamba, a guy that fits into that Raptor system. Again, not perfect and and maybe not the best uh, guy to give a ton of minutes to. He also feels like a project, but fits into that culture. Um, Isaiah Hartenstein, really underrated, uh, productive player for the Clippers last year. And I think he could actually be a great uh, uh, addition. He's, he's not a, he's not a massive guy compared to uh, some of these other true seven footers, but he could be really productive and in a greater role, the Raptors could see uh, some growth from him, but that feels like it's not a solution. And same with Gorgie Dang, uh, that would just be bringing in a Thaddeus Young type guy. Um, of another backup center that could give you 10 to 15 minutes a night and and some great leadership, but that's still a position of need for the Raptors. And so we'll see how, how they address it. it I guess they're just deciding to go all wings. So um, a little bit more uh, like size over the other perimeter teams in the league. And then you're just going to have to swarm arms and legs at centers when you play against them, like they had against Embiid and Jokic. But uh, yeah, they're missing a Marcus all they're missing a, a true seven footer that can, they can just send out on nights to, to bang with the other team center. And Coloco is far and away, not going to be there. Um, I think you, the best case scenario for him is he turns into a Tristan Thompson or he turns into a, oh gosh, I don't know, um, JaVale McGee, 
where it is a serviceable center that you can throw out there. He's never going to be, uh, I mean, I would love if he was ever close to an all defensive team. I don't, don't think you can expect that. Uh, you can obviously hope for it, but to just be realistic. Um, yeah, it's still a position of need for the Raptors right now, if they're trying to contend. It feels like they've, over the past two years since losing Gasol and Ibaka, made really tentative, small risk moves at centers, tried out different fits to see if they just can kind of strike gold low key uh, in line with uh, some of the pickups you were uh, mentioning at the end. Uh, it, it'll be in, if they ever make a real move, like a bit of a higher risk move bigger contract actually give up some skin in a trade you've got to think they're really really sure on it and um, without that they just without that sureness they just don't want to commit because as you said it's serviceable to just swarm the big guys in the paints with the size we have um yeah Aiden in by that vein just feels like they'd have to throw too much of what they value at it to get it uh and with the amount of risk averseness they're approaching acquiring a center with, that seems so unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just coming through here, Dante DiVincenzo signing a two year, $9.3 million deal. Wow. That is a steal for the golden state warriors. Wow. Uh, to, God damn. To replace uh, Gary Payton there his minutes with a, with a pretty productive player. Um, wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. That's a, that's a great deal for golden state. So Dante DiVincenzo headed there and, and some breaking news there to kind of wrap up our, our basketball storyline segment here on the podcast. I think we're going to fly through the rest of it, but we got through the, the, the steak and potatoes here of the, of the podcast. Yeah. I did 40 minutes seemed ambitious. <laughs> yeah and we'll probably do another 40 uh when we talk again on monday with just the way things are going right now but we'll move we'll into do talking 120 on when the kd trade goes through 40 exactly. for kd and 40 for all the trades that and free agencies that happen after that <laughs> until yeah. then well it probably won't be next episode we'll see we'll see you never know uh kd to toronto is trending on twitter right now as we speak i want to see it yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how I'd feel, but, but it'd be interesting for sure. All right. Moving into talking hockey here. Our top five picks are as follows. Uh, Cutter Gauthier, fifth, Simon Nemec, fourth, Logan Cooley, center, third, and then Max. The perceived number one pick Shane Wright now for about three years and has been so for a long time. Uh, very much rumored to be headed to Montreal. Things changed this weekend when Bob McKenzie released his uh, prospects ranking. He has not been wrong on the first overall selection since 2009. And at the top of his list was Uri Slavkowski from Slovakia. Uh, as the number one ranked prospect after talking to GMs uh, around the league, a six foot four left winger from Slovakia, 
famous for his unbelievable highlights and ability playing on that team in the world juniors. I think he was on that team as young as 16, just like a, a Connor Bedard. Um, really, really impressive talent. Uh, his major comp there that I've heard on, on many different shows is Miko Rantanen, who was one of the Avalanche's best players in this Stanley Cup final series. So not a bad comparison is all. If you could get a Miko Rantanen in the top of the draft, like that's that's a home run. You take it. And so Montreal here seemingly like uh, has a much more difficult decision than previously anticipated. So that is the big drama we wait and see for the draft this weekend uh, in Montreal would be an all-time moment if uh, fans wearing their Shane Wright Canadians jerseys show up and uh, he is not selected with the first overall pick. Feels a little bit like the Austin Matthews, Patrick Line saga from a couple of years ago where Line had a fantastic late surge up the board uh, and almost became a bit of a debate there who Toronto was going to pick. They end up going with Matthews, which was the right decision. And uh, we'll see if Montreal, if that, if it's a similar situation or in the end might be a Ovechkin Crosby where both of these guys are phenomenal and, and you're just happy to get one of them. Not more like Ovechkin Malkin because they went in the same draft year. Fair, fair. Yeah, sure. Whatever way you want to frame it there. I'll also add that Bob McKenzie still had Austin Matthews number one in his draft board. Um, Like I think where there's smoke, there's fire. And if there's that much talk about the Slovakian guy, like that talk happens with the bias or like the knowledge that um, it's a less surefire thing. It's riskier. Like if he still makes it up, it's probably for good reason. So I won't be surprised at all. Um, those poor Habs fans probably released or ordered those jerseys weeks in advance. It's a good problem to have, so I won't lose too much sleep over it for them. Yep, Cannot wait to watch it uh, this weekend. All right. We're now into tennis talk after a brief stop there uh, with, with the NHL draft. And Max, you've got a couple updates. I've been missing the updates, man. I'm, I'm, yeah. They're finally back. Well, it's really sad to have to do this on Canada Day. But there's no Canadians left in the singles uh, draws at Wimbledon with Felix going out in the first and Bianca and Chapo going out in the second. Oh, there goes one of my hot takes. <laughs> yeah, a heartbreaking match from Chapo. Uh, he comes out, he had to face his polar opposite. Like for a guy who's as flashy as streaky who likes to go for the big risky shots uh there's nothing worse than playing someone who's just always going to hit the ball in never really put any unforced errors and continue to make you make shots and stay in your own head um and in a nutshell Shapo couldn't handle that he came out guns blazing in the first said like he was trying to find the kill shot on the first second shots of the rally and was going nowhere for him it didn't help that nakashima made zero unforced errors that set but he just wasn't really given enough of an opportunity to make any he had a better second set it's like something sort of clicked where if i just keep hitting the ball in and hard and not trying to do too much with it these rallies do start to go in my favor 
Um, but then credit to Nakashima, who, after being outplayed in the second set, just came back to the third with the same mindset, but not shaken at all, and just continued to stick with it. Like it, it all the stats just kind of back up uh, two very different play styles. The more consistent, steady one versus the one with the higher ceiling and the lower floor. And uh, Chapo couldn't really stay high enough and was a lot lower. Like a couple mistakes snowballed him. He had the better serve, but he put it in less. Uh, way more double faults. None at like really horribly clutch times, but those add up over a match. I think he was around 10. I didn't feel like a 6-1 loss, but just a couple of poor decisions at poor moments. Uh, lost him some break points. The fourth set, definitely the best set of tennis. Both players really just stayed on serve, um, playing it well. I, again, it felt like Chapeau should have been able to figure out the return a little better, but I don't want to take too much credit away from Nakashima for basically just serving steadily and well on grass that really has an effect if like 75% of your first ins serves in on grass versus 70 makes a big difference versus any other court and that kept him in it and then not really a surprise to see Chapo drop the tiebreak after that sort of game uh, they continued to go back and forth on their serve for a bit but ultimately Chapo just misplays a point on his serve and in the tie break it's the narrowest of margins so not shocking that the more consistent player takes it it's been a rough month to be a dennis fan but hopefully he's going to bounce back for this hardcore season uh, so we'll look for that in the future in the meanwhile keeping our eyes on the present at wimbledon it is a pretty unfortunately depleted field though uh no Berrettini, last year's finalist due to a COVID test. No Russians, that takes two top tens out. Medvedev and Rublev, we won't get political. And no Zverev because he's injured. Uh, with Felix going out, Rudd going out, not a player. There's not many top 10 players left in this draw at this point. We've got Djokovic, Nadal, Tsitsipas, Alcaraz, uh, some other I think Sinner and Nori are definitely top 10 seeds this tournament. I can't think of their ATP world rankings off the top of my head. Uh, so with those players, Alcaraz and Sinner set to play the best match in the fourth round as the lineup's gone so far. The third round still to be played in the bottom half of the draw. That'll concern Tsitsipas, who plays Kyrgios, uh, Nidal as well. Djokovic been super steady so far, uh, all straight set victories. His back's really up against the wall. Um, if we see that quarterfinal matchup against Alcaraz, which will be their first time playing since Alcaraz beat him, that will definitely be the biggest match of the tournament. To get there, Djokovic will have to play a name you might remember from a few weeks ago, Tim Van Rietoven, the player who beat Daniel Medvedev as a wild card to win a grass title. Um, he's had not, you can't quite call it the same kind of Cinderella run, uh, winning versus making it to the fourth round, but taking out Riley Opelka and Nikola Bashalevsky, no small feat at all. So great to see him still riding all that momentum. Uh, you kind of hate to see him go up against Novak though. Gotta say, 
I'm nervous about, about my Novak pick right now. I'm sweating. I'm sweating it out. There's just normally like no Rublev, no Medvedev, no Zverev, no Berrettini in the field really does thin out the competition and make it just there's going to be a few less of those grueling matches if he can get through the easy ones as he's been doing. And uh, you love that Rafa is on the other half of the draw coming not that long off a French run. And uh, you're already seeing him play a bit longer matches than Novak. Um, So it's a good time to be a fan for now. But man, that Alcaraz matchup, if it happens, is going to be fire. So looking forward to that. There you go. There you have it. Uh, one last thing I want to get your opinion on since you're wearing a UCLA shirt. You hear the news? I did. Um, any takes I can give to my sister? Because I've got none for myself. It is, well, first of all, good luck to them getting up early uh, for a noon uh, game <laughs> up there. Uh, good luck in the cold. I mean, college football <laughs> runs in the fall into the winter there. It is going to be an unpleasant awakening for both of those schools. Um, yeah, shocking, shocking news. The future of college football is going to be three or four mega conferences that just contains the top schools with the most money. Uh, that's where we're headed. This is the first step in that. But what you can say is, is any of these uh, teams' home games, they will have a decided advantage, right? It's one thing to go the one way, but... If they're playing a couple of those teams, they might just stay out east. They got teams coming all the way to the west to play them as well. And uh, and and so they, they definitely have that advantage in that regard as well. So fascinating, fascinating to see um, how that is going to go. But I was a little bit blown away when I saw the news today. It's it's a, definitely a strange geographical decision. It's uh, It's financially driven and... My hot take there is, yeah, the future the future of college football is conglomeration, and I think uh, those teams are going to have a pretty tough time in the Big Ten. There's some smash-mouth football in the cold, uh, and so they're just going to have to make sure their offense is lighted up when they welcome teams to their, their home fields. Yeah, sports next door on top of the NCAA world. Yeah, and uh, by that time, we should be very close to the new NCAA video game, which I have been eagerly awaiting now for many, many years. Max, I think you'd love it with the with the uh, scouting and uh, the recruitment and then building a dynastic program uh, from the ground up. Confirm you've been hyping it for two plus years now. Yep. All right. Awesome. Well, we are just kicking off uh, the long weekend here, at least for me. Max has Max has got work to do, but uh, the holiday work, at least today for him, uh, small benefit, small benefit. But uh, for those of you north of the border, enjoy your the rest of your Canada Day and, and the rest of your weekend. And for those of you south of our our border here, Fourth uh, of July coming up on Monday. So hopefully you uh, enjoy that. Kick off the summer. In, in a fantastic way and and we'll keep chugging along here putting out content for everyone to listen to so appreciate it and yeah thanks so much for listening to this one sports next door signing out